Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Every couple of weeks, Mark and I meet with you and discuss trending topics in the wine world, anything and everything that you might want to know about wine. And we love to bring this show to you either on Franklin Public Radio or through our podcast. And how are you today, Mark? Everything is great, Cam. Excited. I think we have some uh, interesting topics today to discuss. And, yeah, we got uh, some fun and different things to do. <laughs> Involve some experimenting, so That's right. we like that. As our longtime listeners know, we like to sort of keep our finger on the pulse of where wine is popping up in popular culture. And there was a bit from uh, the last season of, was it Succession, Mark? Yes. Where they talk about this thing called hyper decanting, <laughs> which seems to involve putting your wine in a blender in order to aerate it in the same way that you would do by putting it in decanter and letting it get some air for a few hours. And Mark always has seems to have a sixth sense for being able to come up with these things that are going on in pop culture for wine. So um, what was it about this one that sort of uh, attracted your interest, Mark? Well, I think first that it's a trend. And second, that there was a positive article and there was a negative article, mm -hmm. like everything else in the wine world. So I said, well, geez, you know, Kim, have you done this? I've never done it. And uh, it looked fun. So we did it. And it, and it turns out we kind of did it different ways. But yeah. maybe we should just give the listeners a little background, hyper decanting. What is it about? What does it do? What's the benefits of doing it? It's all about aerating Kim, which we I think we spent an episode on uh, exposing the wine to some air so it gets rid of some uh, maybe unwanted uh, compounds that may evaporate and give it a little better aroma. We can accomplish this uh, by just swirling our glass or putting it in a decanter or pouring it into a glass. And you know me with all my gadgets. I had aerators and decanters. and I, I was going to bring up your aerating uh, <laughs> your uh, gadgets for, for air aerating wine that yeah. I have seen you use in classes and in uh, in tastings. And I guess one of the, the things about these type of gadgets or doing this, it's called hyper decanting. It, I mean, do you, we miss out on the journey of what the wine would do by doing these kind of tricks to the wine, hmm. Kim? Is it, is, it, point. is it not evolving properly? Are we trying to rush the process of opening up the wine? I remember reading a lot of geeky technical stuff in the past about how wineries uh, wouldn't use any mechanical pumps when they're moving wine within the winery because they felt that the pumps were actually damaging the wine, the structure of the wine. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of wondering, is this not a good thing to do to the wine? Is it is it cheating in, in a way for the wine? 
Well, I think in a lot of ways, there are pros and cons to lots of things. So I think it comes down to what is your point in wanting to decant a particular wine? So for some wines, they need that extra little bit of oxygen, not just for the aromas, but also for the texture of the wine. So sometimes you have a red that is so big and powerful that the tannins can kind of get in the way of the pleasure of the wine. And that for me is probably the main reason for decanting a wine. You know, maybe it's a little too young, maybe it's a little too harsh and and needs to soften up a little bit. So that is why I would decant a wine that's on the younger side in order to soften it a little bit, to make it a little bit more of a pleasant experience, and then to release some of those aromatics. There's another reason why you would want to decant a wine if it happened to be an older bottle that had already thrown a lot of sediment. So sometimes you see with older red wines that some of their tannins have literally clumped together and then settled to the bottom of your wine glass, or hopefully not, um, or your wine bottle, and it kind of looks like coffee grinds on the bottom of your of your bottle there. If that's the case with your wine, then you want to decant it so that you get the clear wine and not the chewy gunky stuff on the bottom. But that's not really what we're talking about here. So we're talking about opening up a wine by giving it some air, by giving it some oxygen, and really sort of moving quickly through the aging process. And I think this comes back to what you were just saying about do we miss some of the pleasant steps along the way? So if we're talking about, well, the point of doing this is to get from point A to point C without having to go through point B, then I think that this is something that could and should maybe be looked at. But if it's a wine that doesn't really necessarily need the decanting in order to really taste like a better wine in the right here and now, then I agree with you. You sort of miss those subtle changes that might happen in your glass over the course of an hour or two of working through that bottle. You said it perfect, though. It speeds up that waiting for the aging process to to happen. It's a way, they say, to speed that up. And the article that brought it to our attention, it it said, here's why you want to put your wine in a blender, which is hyper decanting. But it had an interesting background to it, Kim. I never knew that the process was created by Nathan Myravold. Is that how you say his name? Myravold? Mm, He was an author who did an article in Modern Cuisine back in 2013. Yeah, I, I did not know this either. He noted that less than one minute in the blender with your wine equals one hour of decanting in time. And I think in the past, we also had some other gadgets we saw that you could set things where it was kind of, it was like a hot plate type of, not a hot plate, but a stirrer. Yeah, it was like a motorized thing. Right? Yeah. So, and you'd put it on, you'd set how long you want to age it for by stirring it. So like you said, this process uh, supposedly softens the tannins, makes it a little smoother flavor, and they recommend putting wine in till it froths up mm-hmm. and then let it rest to do it. So we said, let's do it. What did you first pick for a wine, Kim? Okay. So I had a very nice Australian Shiraz that I decided to use for my wine. I didn't want anything that was too subtle that I maybe wouldn't be able to pick out the differences if there wasn't much of a difference between my blended wine and my, I can't even use the word blended, right? Because that's something else in the wine world. My hyper decanted (laughs) wine and my unhyper decanted wine. So I have this big, bold Aussie Shiraz that is full of a lot of fruit and spice character, but not really hard tannins. 
So the tannins themselves are already a little bit softer, but I was hoping that I would be able to notice a difference just in the process between the kind of the before and the after. And what was the vintage? I think it was a 2020. So it's fairly fairly new. Okay. It's fairly young. Yeah. And I used a, a stick blender because I felt that would be less messy than using my blender blender. And both of these articles that we read kind of talked about doing them both ways, you know, either putting it in a full glass canister blender or using a stick blender. Um, And one of the reasons they said to use a stick blender is because your regular blender might still have residual smells or flavors from other things you've made in there, be it a smoothie or, you know, a soup or like I make mayonnaise in mine. So I really didn't want mayonnaise wine. So I used a stick blender and I tasted the wine before I put it in. And then I poured myself a control sample in a glass and then um, zhuzhed it up with my stick blender, let the foam settle and then poured that sample into the same type of glass, same amount. And I labeled the glasses as to which was which. I I smelled them, I tasted them. And then I covered up the labels and let them sit for an hour. So I'm going to go back and retaste and see if I can notice difference between the two. And this was the other difference between Kim and I. Kim and I is doing this live and I did my homework last night. So uh, it's interesting to get the take this way. And, and Kim used the stick blender. I used the regular blender and Kim's wine was actually newer. So this is good because we have different takes on how it was done and the wine. What were your impressions of yours? Well, I used the 2017 Norello Mascalese from Sicily because I buy this wine by the case. Mm. And when I drink it, it tends to be very acidic and very earthy until it opens up. So I said, geez, I'd like to try this and see, speed up this decanting process with the blender. So that was smart to go with a wine that you have some history with. So it's something that you've consumed on multiple yeah, occasions I, and that you I, know. Yeah. And I yeah, wanted to see if it would change the normal way I'm used to. It. And I did like you, I first poured in a glass, but then I, for my second pour, I poured half into a decanter and I poured the other half into the blender. So I had actually three kind of references hmm. and I just put it in the blender until um, I hit it basically low until it frothed up and it, it did you notice, Kim, it froths up? I got some, I definitely got some serious frothiness Major. online, yes. And not only that, but once you pour it out of the blender, it stays pretty bubbly, frothy, doesn't it, for a while? It almost, it did kind of change color for a bit. And I think it went from being, I don't want to say that I had a, a clear wine because I have actually a very dark wine, but it did sort of change my perception of the pigments in the wine for a little bit. Yeah. But not after an hour of sitting on my counter. And my husband moved the glasses around so I wouldn't have any idea of which one I was tasting. And I took my glasses off. So I'm completely blind here. (laughs) So we did the same thing, three things. But so tell me, what are you noticing? So when I first tasted them, knowing which was which, I felt that the hyper decanted wine had a little bit more of a muted nose. Like I couldn't quite smell as much of it as the original wine. It wasn't quite as vibrant and it wasn't quite as fruity. But now that I go back and forth between these two, not knowing which is which, I am really having a hard time finding any differences between the two of them. That's very interesting because that's exactly what I noted on the hyper decanted wine, it seemed less aromatic. I was in a gl- in the glass. I was getting aromatics, the same acidity, earthy finish. The decanter I was, had the same aromatics. The acidity was a little 
softer and the finish was a little cleaner because it obviously opened it up pouring into the decanter. But the blended, just like you, I lost some of the fruity aromatics and I got a little bit more of the spice. So it kind of yeah brought out a different aromatic, but lost its fruit, fruity aromatics. So kind of similar to what you're saying, I think. Yeah. So I have one, I would say one of mine smells just a tad fruitier and the other one smells just a little bit spicier. So that'll be interesting to see which is which when I finally reveal them. But flavor wise, I'm not really noticing any differences between my two. Really? That's interesting. So um, with mine, I noticed significant on the palate, especially like mid palate, much softer. Mm, Um, I'm not, but I have soft tannins to begin with in mine. And mine is still, both glasses are still very bright. So I think because I have a softer red to begin with, there just might not have been that much change for me to notice. As opposed to your wine, which it sounds like you had significantly firmer tannins in yours than, than I have. Yeah, and it kind of did soften it out a little bit, like if it was aged a few more years. So, yeah. so you didn't do yours blind, right? You no, knew? no, no. I knew. Okay. I, I knew. I I'm knew, going all so. super scientific. Yeah, here. yeah. So it's good because two different uh, experiments. Yeah. I kind of I wanted to use like an an inexpensive and see if it you know made any difference, but mm-hmm. you know it, there's so many ways we could have went with this. So while you're kind of tasting that, let's talk a little bit about like anything else in the wine world. I said earlier we saw this article why you should do this, and then Vine Pair had an article that said no, you should not do this to your wine. Right? I mean, because they're so down to earth. <laughs> just because it was in that. HBO series. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Doesn't mean... Oh, Vine Pair is great because they're just, they're so no nonsense sometimes. <laughs> they're well, like, someone always you has kidding? to give that Don't other do side, that. Right. Right. It's, <laughs> someone has to give the other. Right. View. Someone has to be the voice of reason. Thank you, Vine Pair. <laughs> and one point was don't stick high end wines in your blender. Uh, what was I the mean, this kind of goes back to wasn't there a thing about putting your wine in the microwave for right. a little while? Right. That was yeah. like a flash yeah. in the pan, six days of people microwaving their wines. <laughs> I mean, it's all about the experience. If there's something you can do that makes it better for you or, or improve something, I, I have no problem with it. What's the price point of your wine, Kim? About $25. Yeah, my mine was a, like a $20 bottle too. So I wouldn't consider them high end. So we didn't violate their... Uh... No, but but we're using, you know, good quality wine. I think we would still probably call them fine wines still, right? Right, right. Right. They were talking about high end, but... Also, you you'd said earlier about decanting aged wines for sediment that you wouldn't really want to do this process to a yeah. really fine aged wine. Exactly. Because it, it needs care and you could actually ruin it by aerating it too much, this process. so And I think that in general, you should generally be careful with your wines because there are those compounds that, and we hear this from winemakers all the time, that they're not handled gently really from start to finish that you can lose a lot of those nice aromatics or you can lose some of that good structure that you're going for. So kind of think about it like, you know, you don't want to bruise your tomatoes and you don't want to bruise your apples. So you don't necessarily want to bruise your wine too much either. Right. There was another article, Williamson Sonoma, that said, you know, use the blender. A young red, they said 30 to 60 seconds in the blender. Our friend Madeline at Wine Folly also said she did this. And she made an interesting note saying that it makes the wine smell oddly vodka-like. 
Hmm. removing um, its aromas so i i I can only imagine that it sort of makes the alcohol much more volatile yeah so maybe that is coming out of the glass first and foremost and it kind of hit her nose with this big hit of alcohol and that that was where that vodka e sensation came from and she said it softened the tannins but loses its unique character Mm. which going back dumbs it down yeah going back to the wine I did, I mean, usually I have it with food, but I enjoy the wine when I'm just sipping it. It's not as easy to take because mm-hmm. it's acidic, it's earthy. But I have to tell you, Kim, after doing the hyper decanting, I enjoyed it. And I don't know if it's just a, in my mind. Yeah, we I did something to it. It's different now because I didn't do it blind like you. But in my mind, it made me feel like it was smoother. It was... Mm-hmm more or non-food wine. So what are you getting now on yours? So I am sticking with one is slightly fruitier. One is uh, slightly spicier. And when I revealed to myself, which was which, that followed perfectly with how I perceived them right after I did the hyper decanting. So the one that was hyper decanted was a little less fruity and a little more spicy and then vice versa for the one that I hadn't done anything with. So my, um, my intuition was right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, nice. I was right, <laughs> but it actually was exactly how I got the little yeah, bit more exactly. Spice and which, I, so, as soon as you were saying that, that like one was fruitier and one was spicier, I'm like, yeah. oh my goodness, I had the same exact experience. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah, very cool. And uh, I think next time you should do yours blind. Yeah, I am a big proponent do, of blind wine tastings these days. <laughs> we'll have to Sa- do Sandy Block would other. be very happy with me. Yeah, we'll do them for each other, so we don't know even what the wine is, mm-hmm. and and uh, I think it'd be more fun. But you know, for our listeners, just something to try. You have a blender or immersion blender like like Kim. I think now that I think about it, my wife did say uh, use the immersion, but probably didn't want me to put the wine <laughs> in the blender. Well, I was afraid of like literally spewing wine all over my kitchen. Yeah. It does. It does get frothy. And get it's a mess. In, it's interesting. Yeah. So well, thank you for such an interesting experiment for uh, for our show today for our listeners, Mark. This was fun, and uh, I like these hands-on, interactive kind of things, and and also enlightening. Um, you know, it's fun to read about something and then to actually get your hands dirty and do it as well. Yeah, and if anybody tries it, please write Kim and I and let us know what happened uh, in your experiment. We'd be curious to find out. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Kim and Mark, exploring all things wine with you. For more information about Kim, go to her website at commonwealthwineschool.com. If you'd like more information about myself, please go to franklinlickers.com. For past episodes, you can go to SoundCloud or iTunes. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and you can find us on Twitter at Wine Education. Our program is supported by Franklin Public Radio. Next, we want to talk about vintage in wine, Kim. Does vintage matter? And let's just refresh our listeners, Kim. What is the definition of the vintage when it's on a wine? So the vintage refers to during what year were those grapes picked? And it's a little bit less confusing to talk about vintage when you're talking about grape grown in the Northern Hemisphere because our growing season up here lasts all throughout the same year. So like the baseball season is always going to be just in one year. Whereas if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, those grapes start to develop 
in one year and then they'll finally be picked in another year. So there's this little crossover year. So more like the football season. So we like to refer to it as it's what year were those grapes picked in? So in the Southern Hemisphere, it will be in the spring. So, you know, a couple of months after the turning of the year. Whereas in the Northern Hemisphere, it'll be in the fall. Did Even, I just make it more confusing? <laughs> no, no, no. I, just for more clarification, Southern Hemisphere wines, their summer is now in 2023. So their wines are coming out. Could be re- You're going to see 2023 Southern Hemisphere wines on the shelves very soon from yeah, soon. New Zealand. Yep. But so some I, of them are already in production. Some of, some of the grapes are still on the vines, but it's mostly harvest season down in the sun, Southern Hemisphere now. In, in our area, it's just starting to bud. They'll be harvested at the end of this year. It's still going to be the 2023 vintage, but you probably won't see them until 2024 or further, right? Is that a simpler way? Okay. It is a little confusing, but the the question really comes up, does vintage matter? And I wanted to ask you, Kim, when you do tastings at the school or put together, are, are you stressing the vintage on the sheets that you're handing out so everybody knows it's 2023 rosé or it's do do you stress the vintage as much today as you have in the past i don't think we stress it necessarily although we do make a point of always letting people know what vintage of what wine are they tasting and if god forbid we are showing a wine and we have one bottle of one vintage and another bottle of another vintage we kind of freak out a bit because we want to make sure that we're showing everybody the same wine right Um, and there are some places in the world that make wine that the vintage really does matter if to the taste of the wine. And we do see this from time to time, Not maybe not as frequently as, say, 20 years ago, but it still does matter for a lot of places that tend to be on kind of the limits of grape growing or that have more variability in their weather throughout the year or more, or more more variability in their climate. So we do talk about vintage a lot when it comes to Champagne or Bordeaux or some of those better places in the northern part of Italy, like the Piemonte. But for other places like New Zealand or California or Argentina, we really don't stress the vintage quite as much. There will still be slight variability between one vintage and the other and and the next between, you know, on the same exact wine from the same producer, same grapes, whatever, but not as impactful as in some other areas. Yeah. And because of climate change lately, I think we should pay a little bit more because even these areas that are usually consistent with climate, it's changing. So there's some weird things happening all over the world where, you know, one year everything's normal and then something freaky happens and they have a bad vintage or bad growing year. You wouldn't know that unless you looked at those so-called vintage charts that are out there or you're following trends like we do and, and tell our listeners about when there's, you know, these frosts or whatever. So that's when it does matter, especially with the climate change. I think people should really pay attention to the vintage and trends in the wine to show what they know has been consistent is still not having any issues. And you mentioned New Zealand. I mean, they just had the northern part of New Zealand just had uh, horrible weather. So they're going to have a really bad vintage this year. So what do you think, Kim? Uh, you you leaning more towards it does matter or doesn't matter when selecting wine? I, I think it depends on the wine, you know, just like anything else when we have yeah, these conversations right. where we say, does it matter? It's like, well, 
It depends. I think it depends on your price point, and I think it does depend on your region. So if you're drinking a $12 bottle of wine from Paso Robles in California or you know a $15 Malbec from Mendoza, does it really matter? I'm going to say not as much. But if you want to lay in a bottle of good champagne for your son's 21st birthday like I just did, then yeah, vintage does matter. So, you know, kind of like everything else, it depends on what you're going to do with that wine. It depends where you're going to consume that wine. What do you want to get out of that wine? If it's just, you know, that you want to have a nice bottle to drink on Tuesday night with your pork chops. No, it really doesn't. There are some wines that you want as fresh as possible. So in that respect... The age of the wine matters, but not so much the particular vintage. It depends on where we are, right? If we were right. we're in 2023, so you know, you you're probably not wanting a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc that's any older than 2020. But if we were in 2030, you know, you really don't want that bottle of 2020 New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. So that's a slightly different conversation. That's talking more about age than about particular vintage. And I think what we're trying to talk about is like the particular year. Like why does 1985 matter more than say 1989 if you're talking about aged wine? And you hit all the points that they pretty much mentioned in the articles about doesn't matter. It depends on your taste, your budget, uh, how you're drinking or enjoying the wine, even where you shop. It, it Some people focus on that, you know, having certain vintages of the wine. One of the things I always, we're talking about doing an event and putting the, the vintage down. I always double check to make mm -hmm. sure what I'm presenting or trying to sell matches up with the details I know of the wine. And people can always find out about their wine. When we talk about the tech sheets, it it should tell you a good tech tech sheet what happened during the vintage, during the harvest, you know, how was the growing season, if it was a good vintage or not for the wine. They're gonna tell you. We had a good growing season. It was a normal growing season, that type of thing. And I always like checking the tech sheets to make sure, especially if it's like you said, if it's a wine, your go-to wine, you want to make sure everything was produced, you know, the same way that year. So mm -hmm. tech sheets are a good guide. But that is hard too, because sometimes vintages change so quickly on the shelf and we can see one side of it or the other. Like sometimes I'll be looking up the information for a bottle that I like literally have right in front of me and the winery will either have the previous year's tech sheet up or the next vintage's tech sheet up. And I'm like, but <laughs> yeah, this looking for. Sometimes right. it can be very frustrating. Right. Those are the, <laughs> the little weird things that we deal with in our in our line of work. Yeah. But I'm glad you mentioned that, especially about the shelf. You know, the, when you go into a store and you see those shelf talkers, uh, lately I've seen a lot of people doing this. They'll say, you know, 90 point uh, vintages the last uh, three years, four years. You don't know what this what that review is for, what vintage was it for. And like you said, it changes so fast. Yep. You could see a review of a wine from the 2000, uh, the 2020 vintage, but the one on the shelf is now the current 2021 vintage. Mm -hmm. it, it can be very confusing. So that's why we say it doesn't matter. It does matter if you're checking reviews and they reviewed a certain vintage wine. That's the note that's going to match that proper right. vintage. So that's one of my pet peeves, like, you you know, besides going to the I know site, it is. <laughs> that's one of the things that can be confusing with vintages. And have you used a vintage chart lately, Kim? Not really. I really feel like I used to use them, I wouldn't say religiously, but way more frequently than I do now. And I feel like 
for myself recently and for classes and for trying to choose the best wine for a certain situation. Really the only time that it has come up that I have needed to really pay attention to a particular vintage was when we were doing comparisons between the same wine. So we were doing vertical tasting. So we were doing the same wine from the same producer, but over a number of different vintages. So like that was very interesting to do, but they were all Bordeaux. So they're from a region that can have such variability from season to season that you really can taste it in the wine. Besides that and champagne, those are really the only two situations that I've really noticed that recently it has made a big, big difference in um, in what I'm trying to show from a wine. Yeah. And it's interesting because we had this conversation recently about the old guidebook. Yeah. Remember we used to use the books yeah. for finding popular wines. We used to carry them around right. or, you know, you have them in your back it, pocket. That's exactly what's happened with me with the vintage chart. I used to yeah. have a chart from each major publication, yeah. right? Parker, we used to have them up on the wall this. of the wine yeah. store and we would take them down when we got the new ones out. We would like literally put them up on the wine fridge so that people could check them out as soon as they came in, into the, the back area that had all the French and Spanish and Italian wine. And when you'd use them to sell too, because if yes. you had, like you said, if you had multiple vintages of a wine on your shelf and someone would say to you, which would you go to? And you knew, hey, yeah. the 2017 was a better vintage. I yeah, would it was very, that, very right? important. I even Absolutely. had the little pocket one that was in my wallet. And, and now I rip them out of the thing and I never look at them. I used to keep I, mine I just, right next to my Red Sox schedule. They see? <laughs> in my now purse. That's, that's geeky. That's geeky. <laughs> That's how you know you're a good New Englander. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, it's just another thing that... So it made me lead when I was thinking of the article and I saw the headline, does it matter? I'm thinking, you know, to me, I guess lately I don't key on it as much because I'm not using the vintage chart or when, when someone goes to present a wine to me to sell to me, I'm not saying, oh, wow, it's, but it's the 2017, yeah. so, but it's So why do you think that is? You if know, you and I, I have both because... sort of had the same experience, is this a climate change thing? Is it that vintages are much more similar than dissimilar these days? I think myself, Kim, it's that we're keeping up with the trends much easier now with everything on the internet. You know, we know this area has fires or this area had a frost. So I, I when I see it now, I don't need the chat to know because I've read it. So you I, think I've that it's it. just that you have the knowledge and don't have to look back on it and not that the vintage doesn't matter. The vintage does matter. It does matter. But I think not that I have the knowledge, but I've seen it or I've been exposed to. Well, that means that you have the knowledge. Yeah. Well, I don't you know. You know. <laughs> right. If I can retain it is another well, thing. That's a different so, question. <laughs> yeah, but exactly that's exactly what I think is happening. Yeah. You you you're more up to date of what's going on. Whereas years ago you might not have heard of what's going on in Bordeaux mm. or Champagne or you, you didn't hear it. Now it's as soon as something happens. I mean, just today I saw something where there was a ant problem in Argentina and they just oh. had fires or something. <laughs> So now you see it. So now the next time someone comes around with one, I'll say, geez, was it in this area that I saw I had yeah. you know, this problem? So I think you've really hit the nail on the head with one thing in that we don't need those books anymore because we now all have a phone in our back pocket that we can just quickly say, you know, how was the 2019 vintage in Margot? That right. kind of a thing. Right. So we don't need those right. things that are up on up on the walls any longer. Right. Right. Yeah. Things change, but uh well, we had to let the listeners know again, you know, vintage. 
I think now we're getting towards rosé season. Yay. Um, <laughs> I feel people, you know, one thing they don't look at is vintage on rosé. They just, it's the same rosé. I drink Whispering Angel. I had it last year. It was the same. I, but we have that point now where there's some leftover wines from the previous season. So yep. it does And matter. I'm much more yep. forgiving of that than other people. I know a lot of right. people want like as fresh as possible. Fresh, fresh, and if yeah. it has even any age on it, it's not good anymore. I am not that person. <laughs> I, I don't mind a little bit of, uh, of age on my rosé. But again, personal preference. So it's all about what works for you. What do you like? And uh, and what is going to make you happiest as far as the wine in your glass? And keep in mind, it is one of the things that's uh, required on the the label, right? It's if it says it's that, it has to be that vintage. So for the wine label geeks out there, that's right, vintage. So that was fun, Kim, okay. talking about uh, hyper decanting and vintage. That's right. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. You can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. And as always, leave us your questions and comments on our Facebook page, which is The Wonderful World of Wine. And thank you to the Franklin Public Radio for supporting this broadcast. Cheers. Wine, wine, wine.